You're now tuning into the Top Rank Podcast. This is Marcel. And this is Isabel. And we're your hosts and also editors at Top Rank Magazine. So for any new listeners, our podcast is um, an offshoot of Top Rank Magazine. Um, and our podcast profiles women of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging the world around them. We think of this show as a process-oriented research platform, ideally grounded in conversations. So working in collaboration with our guests and listeners, we hope to create a flexible knowledge production outlet that is exploratory rather than prescriptive or conclusive. So, you know, oftentimes when people um, ask me where I'm from, and I get this question often, um, I usually respond with Brooklyn, of course. That's my go-to, first go-to thing. Um, but I, when I respond like that, I almost always get the follow-up question, no, where are you really from? And I'm not naive, of course. I know exactly, for the most part, what this seemingly innocuous question is actually driving at. And it's a question, I think, that is loaded with um, a desire, perhaps, to categorize me racially, uh, perhaps guided by an assumption that this information will somehow um, let this person understand me better. Um, and, you know, as a lighter skinned person who has um, the phenotypic privilege, really, to move in between U.S. racial categories to be coded as racially ambiguous, the experience that I have, and I think Isabel has had, too, um, the experiences that we've had with people um, desiring to fit us into racial typologies, racial boxes, I think to me illustrates in the enduring presence of racial thinking and how identity and actually how Americanness itself is constructed, understood, and experienced. You know, over the course of the United States' turbulent history, an ongoing legacy of en enslavement, indigenous land dispossession, immigration waves, and the like, the quest to know one's roots has ebbed and flowed. And indeed, of course, in a nation like the U.S., if we're going to just speak of our current context, um, in a nation like this where assimilation uh, especially has been a core cultural and political project, questions about ancestry have existed, I think, in profound tension with ongoing efforts to define a unified American subjectivity. However, with the recent boom of the genetic ancestry testing industry, the question of knowing your roots has turned into one of the biggest consumer products of the past decade. According to the MIT Technology Review, the number of people who have had their DNA analyzed with direct-to-consumer genetic genealogy tests more than doubled in 2017 and now exceeds 12 million. Most of those tested are, are in the U.S., suggesting that around 1 in 25 American adults now actually have access to their personal genetic data. The genealogy company Ancestry.com recently announced th that it has tested more than 7 million people, and the second largest player, 23andMe, has tested more than 3 million. The immense popularity of genetic ancestry testing has even spurred the development of entire YouTube um, video genres where test takers, quote, unbox and reveal their results on camera, many of which bear the word shocking in, in the title. Whatever your take on tests may be, their tremendous cultural presence at this time cannot be denied. So my and Isabel's desire to understand genetic ancestry testing, this phenomenon, leads us to introducing 
our wonderful guest who we are so excited to have with us this evening, um, Professor Dorothy Roberts. Um, Dorothy Roberts is an acclaimed scholar of race, gender, and the law, and a professor at the University of Pennsylvania with joint appointments in the Department of Africana Studies, Sociology, and the Law School. And she's also the founding director of the Penn Program on Race, Science, and Society. Professor Roberts's pathbreaking work in law and public policy focuses on urgent contemporary issues in health, social justice, and bioethics. And her major books include Fatal Invention, How Science, Politics, and Big Business Recreate Race in the 21st Century, Shattered Bonds, The Color of Child Warfare, and Killing the Black Body, Race, Reproduction, and the Meaning of Liberty. She's the author of more than 100 scholarly articles and book chapters, as well as the co-editor of six books on such topics as constitutional law, women in the law, and uh, race in the law. Professor Roberts, welcome to the Top Ring Podcast. It's so great to have you on. Thanks. It's great to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Um, So to begin and just jump right in, could you explain to us how you define race? I define race as it applies to human beings as a political category that is designed to govern people. And it has always been disguised as a biological category so that it seems natural as a very powerful way to hide that it actually is a human-made form of governance that puts people in hierarchies and determines their privileges and their opportunities based on that hierarchy. And so it has always pretended to be biological so that it seems like it just comes out of nature uh, when in fact it is a political means of governing. It's a, a, a system of categorizing people to govern them in a way that puts some people in power and other people subject to their power. So you speak of um, you speak of nature and race as a as a system of of governance, and I think you've written a lot about this. You know, over the years, how science has been used to in a, in in a interesting way, science has been used to both refute and um, affirm the existence of, of biological human races in particular. So I was wondering if you could speak to um, what role has science played, um, both historically and presently, in shaping our current understandings of what, what race means and what it is? Oh, that's a, that's a big topic, but I can, I can condense it into saying that science has been absolutely instrumental in inventing race, in determining what the classifications are, how to identify people of different races, and what qualities people of different races are supposed to have. So we can trace the history of the invention of race to the beginning of European conquest of people uh, who were considered non-Europeans, specifically the conquest of African people and and, and their enslavement, uh, as well as taking lands from others like indigenous people in the New World. 
and uh, and then colonialism, European colonialism in other parts of the world as well. But science, so and this this coincides with the Enlightenment uh, at the uh, you know the turn of the nineteenth uh, century, and you know in the seventeen hundreds, uh, the, the this is when science became modernized, and the Enlightenment was supposed to turn. Uh, away from theological thinking toward more modern, uh, neutral, um, scientific forms of thinking and and evidence and ways of understanding the universe. So uh, you you have this coincidence of enslavement and conquest and domination at the time of this supposed revolution in science. And so a European naturalist in the 1700s, so you know, the, the race began to be invented prior to that, but I think the, the role of science and the meaning of race really, uh, we can really focus on the Enlightenment period and that was a time when European naturalists were dividing up the whole universe of all creatures into typologies and uh, classifying them. And they included human beings. And they took pre-modern ideas about the order of human beings with Europeans seen as the at the top as superior as the most like god uh as entitled to dominate others as the most beautiful the most intelligent the most civilized uh those ideas were incorporated into enlightenment science and these scientists were key to justifying enslavement, European enslavement and, and conquest and domination as part of nature. So they helped to, well, more than help, they really created this idea that human beings were naturally divided into these groups that were naturally unequal, uh, again, with Europeans at the top and Africans at the bottom. And so the very concept of human beings naturally divided into races becomes supported not just by what's you know folklore and theology, but now supported by scientists who claimed that they weren't making this up they were discovering it in nature through scientific methods. And, and so, so the very origins of the biological concept of race are entangled in science and supported by science, European scientists. And that, that idea that races are found in nature and that scientists discover them and uh, and through uh, 
objective methods are able to discern the distinctions between them. That idea continues then into contemporary genomic science and uh, some theories of evolution, uh, and of course is, dis is disputed, uh, so that you have scientists today who will continue to promote what is basically a creation, you know, pre-modern creationist idea that some power in nature, it used to be God, now they would say it's evolution, divided human beings into races. And the, the qualities of these races, whether it's biological traits or social traits, are found in their inherent nature. Uh, and, and, you know, I've skipped from the Enlightenment to contemporary uh, science, but in between, we have periods like eugenics that uh, in the, at the turn of the 20th century that incorporated these ideas of race being inherited as opposed to created by human beings, that it was, that it's inherited, it's part of people's nature. And of course, during the eugenics era, the scientific claim was that whole groups, social traits and their value to society uh, were inherited uh, and, and that therefore society could be improved by controlling the procreation of people based on the desirability of their supposedly inherited traits. And, and, and through all of this is a kind of biological determinism and I, the, the idea that's, that the way our society operates is actually caused by differences between groups, including racial groups, uh, that that idea, which we can trace from the Enlightenment, uh, and in fact, as I, as I said, pre-Enlightenment even, but in terms of science, traced from the Enlightenment to some contemporary theories about racial difference based in genes, even today, uh, that has been extremely influential in how the general public thinks about what race is. I think most Americans think that race is a biological category that uh, people inherit. And so uh, this, these scientific claims have been extremely influential in everyday thinking about race. Uh, and, I, and, and I should add that Sci that some scientists have always contested those claims, uh, for, even from the very beginning. <laughs> you had uh, theologians who, some who claimed that, uh, and philosophers, you know, like Aristotle, for example, who claimed that there were these distinctions between the Greeks and the barbarians. And then you had other theologians and philosophers who believed that all human beings were created equal and that there weren't these divisions found in nature. Uh, you, you had American scientists, social scientists like W.E.B. Du Bois, who in 1899, when he published The Philadelphia Negro, challenged the dominant view of scientists at that time that the reason for black people's higher rates of disease 
uh, and and social uh, disadvantage was because of inherent traits. Du Bois challenged that and pointed out that it was social conditions, unequal social conditions produced by political inequality that was the actual cause for these health and other forms of inequities between blacks and whites. Uh, you know, he was writing at a time not too long after the Civil War where most American scientists were claiming that black people were not made for freedom and that they were inherently uh, inherently unsuited to freedom. And that was the cause for black people's problems. And Du Bois challenged that. So, uh, and during the eugenics era, there were eugenicists uh, who, um, who uh, claimed these biological differences produce social inequality, but also geneticists who refuted that even prior to World War II when, uh, because of the Nazi extermination of Jews and others based on eugenicist theory, eugenics began to fall out of favor as the dominant science in the United States and Europe. But uh, even prior to that, there were geneticists and anthropologists uh, like Zora Neale Hurston and Franz Boas who contested these biological views of race and biological explanations for social inequality. Well, thank you so much for that history. Um, that's actually a perfect framing for this kind of contemporary situation which we're hoping to address and I think that the way that we can think about this and 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 lead into this next question is in your book um, Fatal Invention you argue that that there is currently a rise in what you call a new racial science and this new racial science entails both public and private efforts to reestablish the idea that human beings can be genetically categorized into biological and distinct races and you identify the rise in genetic ancestry testing as one example of a commercial product and service riding this new wave of racial science. So what exactly is, for anyone who doesn't know, a genetic ancestry test and why would you call it a new form of racial science? Well, genetic ancestry tests are uh, tests based on a customer's DNA, that uh, which is uh, determined from a cheek swab or some other form of genetic sampling uh, that then uh, a, a company uh, makes claims about their ancestry. Uh, and there's, I, I think we can, you know, there, there are various kinds of tests, but uh, one way of categorizing the tests is to think about tests that are based on tracing uh, someone's mitochondrial or um, paternal DNA uh, to particular groups, tribes or ethnic groups. And then there's also a kind of test that looks at 
uh, what are called ancestry informative markers to make claims about what percentage uh, of the customer's ancestry uh, comes from particular races or geographical um, geogra large geographical groups, and often these large, you know, geographical or continental groups are uh, map onto our everyday thinking about race. So, uh, in short, one traces people's ancestry, or they claim to trace people's ancestry to particular tribes and another divides up people's ancestry according to races or continental groups. And so that's, that's basically what these, uh, what these companies claim to be able to do. So, and just to give examples, so with the racial or continental grouping, a company might say, well, based on your DNA, you are 20% uh, African, you're 20% Asian, uh, you're 30% uh, Native American, and you're 30%, um, what have I left, European. <laughs> so uh, so they, they divide your ancestry into percentages from these big groups, which are most people identify as racial groups. Uh, so, uh, the other kind will say, you uh, are, um, uh, you, you share genetic ancestry with the Igbo people in Nigeria, for example, or you share genetic ancestry with the um, a particular Jewish tribe, or you, uh, you are, uh, so, you know, the, the racial group, I'd say you are 10% Native American, that kind of test, whereas the uh, other test will may claim uh, you are 50% Cherokee and 50% Ojibwa, for example. So, you know, that, that um, uh, kind of statement, the statement about one's ancestry. No, I guess where a lot of people, you know, including myself in a lot of ways, since I've been like socialized in a society where like race is seen as like very bio, seen as like inherent to someone's biology. Could you explain, you know, even though I know that's like part of the politics of it, but um, could you explain the difference between like the terms ancestry, race, and ethnicity? Because I feel like oftentimes, you know, they're conflated and especially I think in the ways in which the genetic ancestry tests um, kind of deliver their, their results to people, it's often conflated. So if, if you could explain perhaps the difference between these, these terms, terms and in relation to that test too. You're right. They are often conflated. And I don't know that there's any consensus on what they mean. I mean, even as I was, as I said at the beginning about race, I think most people define race as a biological group 
that is based on your, you know, your biological ancestry. And uh, whereas I define it as a political group uh, that is that that changes over time and that depends on the particular politics and and social dynamics uh, at a particular moment in history. So so there's there's for each of these terms, there's dispute. But the way I would distinguish them is that race is a very large grouping. Uh, So usually in the United States today, anyway, we think of there being four or five races. So we're talking about, you know, billions of human beings divided into four or five categories. And uh, these categories are invented based on the politics of governing people at that place and moment in history. Whereas ethnicity refers to much smaller groupings of people that are uh, based on cultural affiliations and um, there tends to be less of a of a of a sense that they are purely biological in in the way that race is treated as if it were a biological inheritance i think ethnic certainly ethnic groups are there are more of them and they're smaller than races and uh, i think the way that most people define them has much more to do with culture than biology, although um, they there is a, a sense that biology has something to do with ethnic groups as well. Uh, and then ancestry is it, ancestry is more about one's actual relatives. Uh, going back generation after generation after generation. So ancestry is uh, is more of an individual um, an individual process that is based on one's family ties going back. Uh, generation after generation in in the past, uh, and so it's it's not so much about being part of a group as being uh, part of a family. Now that that gets conflated though with race because some people think about, it, and some scientists have even written this in in their work that race is actually a form of ancestry and it's just a big group of ancestors as opposed to uh, tracing an individual. So, you know, if you, it's a collection of individual ancestries and that's one way of trying to explain race 
as a biological category. But in fact, that is not how race is determined. It, race, you, you, you cannot know someone's race just by looking at their ancestry. You would have to ask, what is the current political definition of the various races and how are they, how are they identified? How are they defined? How do you know who belongs to which one? I mean, just to take a simple example, if you uh, take Barack Obama, for example, and ask what his ancestry is, you would say, you know, it would involve Kenya and it and a tribe in Kenya and, uh, Irish people. Uh, I, I don't know all the details of his ancestry, but I know that his mother uh, had Irish ancestors and his father had ancestors from a tribe in Kenya. So that would be his ancestry. If you ask what his race is, the answer is black, despite the fact that he has Irish ancestry. So uh, the, how, what's the difference between the two? Well, ancestry is looking, actually tracing his individual roots uh, back generations. Where did his father uh, come from? Where did his mother come from? And where did their parents come from? And their, those parents' parents, and on and on and, and on. Whereas answering the question of his race, his ancestry doesn't isn't enough. You would have to know well, what are the races? Uh, and, and then you'd have to say, oh, well, we divide them as black, white, Native American, Asian. Um, and uh, you know, some people might say Latinx is one as well, that you'd have to know what are, what are the groupings that count as races. And then you'd have to ask, well, how do you determine who's white? How do you determine who's black? How do you determine who's Asian? How do you determine who's Native American? And you would have to know the rule in the United States that if you have any evidence of African ancestry, you're black, and to be white, you have to be pure. That's the only way you can determine that Barack Obama is black and not white. So that's not about his ancestry. That's about a political system of governing people and to understand why that rule exists, you would have to go back to the time of slavery and understand why it was politically and economically and socially beneficial to the people determining what races there were and how you identify them, i.e. the white settlers in the colonies. Uh, and deter and then also under Jim Crow, you know, to see that it was politically advantageous to people identified as white to create a category of pure white and then a category of black people who are anybody who has any discernible African ancestry. So that's that's a little bit about the differences between terms. So if if these categories really can't be traced genetically, then we're wondering what these tests actually do tell us. So like, what do these genetic ancestry companies tell us about ancestry by looking at our DNA? Well, they only tell you what 
the scientists in the companies determine qualifies for these various categories. So, you know, I, I like to tell my students that the DNA does not come color-coded. Uh, it, it may arrive at labs color-coded after some scientists determine how to identify DNA according to race, but the DNA itself uh, doesn't have any racial or ethnic identifiers. And so these companies have to determine what qualifies as African or European or Asian or Native American DNA. And, and so uh, they do that based on the DNA that they happen to have collected. So they, each of these companies has a DNA database and their determinations are based on their analysis of their database and also on their own private, you know, tri uh, um, proprietary algorithms to figure out what combinations of certain genetic bar variants are what are called ancestry informative markers. You know, how to, what what combinations mark someone as being from uh, these particular racial groups. Um, so that's, that's the, uh, you know, what, what, what combination of DNA variants qualify for Native American or qualify for African or qualify for uh, European or white uh, or Asian? Um, they, they come up with these <laughs> determinations of what qualifies for uh, identification of DNA as, as being able to um, identify people as belonging to those groups or, or their DNA um, being identified with those groups so that they can determine what percentage someone is of, uh, one percentage of someone's ancestry is from these various groups. And then with the ones that trace, uh, claim to be able to trace your ancestry to a particular tribe, and actually what they say is you share ancestry with a tribe, uh, to a contemporary tribe, uh, that, um, and they base that, again, on the, DNA they have collected or have in their database from particular tribes and comparing yours to those tribes. And if they don't have any DNA collected from a tribe, they cannot tell you that you share ancestry with that tribe, even though you might. They just don't have it in their database. And they also, um, again, have to identify based on algorithms and computer programming uh, what qualifies as being similar enough to a particular tribe whose DNA they have in their database to tell you that you share ancestors with that tribe. So um, they can 
I'm not saying there's there's no uh, nothing they can tell you or that their claims have absolutely no basis, but you have to understand that their claims are based on these determinations that are made by the scientists in the companies and also based on what samples they happen to have in order to make these determinations. Yeah, that's interesting to, to hear. I mean, I know all these companies have their own like proprietary formulas and products and kind of results that they sell. But are you saying that the sort of general practice is that like a company will have a kind of a base sample of, I don't know, DNA that they already code they already code with specific categories and then they kind of, for example, like a 23andMe will continue to build what um, what an, a West African profile looks based on some sort of um, analysis that scientists or a data analyst or whomever these people are doing this already. So they kind of do, they create the categories and they just match, match. How ac- I mean, how accurate... Are are these things? Because I know you've you, you've spoken you've spoken a lot too about how different companies um, can sometimes give you different results, um, and some people argue, well, I you know I got the same results from different companies. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to like the 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 accuracy and like what you know what is actually being being ultimately measured. So um, you know. I- I, I am not a genetic scientist or a data analyst. Neither am I. It's okay. <laughs> but I have read, well, some of it is just common sense. So it's just common sense that no no one, you know, even the most advanced scientist can tell you that you share ancestors with a particular tribe based on their sampling if they have not sampled from that tribe. So that's just common sense. Uh, you don't you don't have to be and have an advanced genetics degree to understand that. Um, and so that's one flaw that others who are experts in this have pointed out that the sampling of human genetic diversity around the globe is inadequate to be able to make any definitive claims about people's um, ancestry. And then the other uh, is the statistical uh, calculations that are required, which are uh, inherently subjective and uncertain because they're they're based on the scientists and data analysts' determinations, which may differ from company to company. Again, there's there's no absolute way of determining these comparisons between samples and the customer's DNA. There has to be a standard that is created by uh, by the people employed by the company, whether they're the scientists or, you know, they're computer experts, but they have to come up with what what is the the test to determine enough similarity to conclude that the customer is part this or part that, or that they share ancestors with a particular tribe or set of tribes. So that's 
another problem, which, you know, again, I would say is, uh, you know, if you think about it, it's common sense problem. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to identify that, but experts have written about this and made similar points about the, the inadequacy and, um, and uncertainty of, of these conclusions that the companies are giving to the, the paying customers. No, no, I was just going to say, jump in quickly. I was struck by a quote that I think the geneticist named Mark Thomas, I believe that's his name, um, has said that the tests are more like story test, more like storytelling. Um, and yeah, I mean, 23andMe definitely, you know, as, as I think of the example, the company is kind of leading in, you know, selling this product right now, they definitely have a compelling story to to tell and market, um, which is that you could somehow um, rediscover your sense of self or part of your part of yourself, um, you know, that's latent in your genes. And they kind of sell they sell the story that I think is enshrined in in a scientific narrative that is very, you know, very well marketed. But to your point, might have some um, questionable or at least, or at least science that can be, that can be critiqued for sure. Well, you, you've raised another aspect of this. I mean, what we were discussing was just the scientific accuracy of the claims about, about ancestry, but, but these companies make other kinds of claims as well, which are also subject to criticism, uh, which are not, really scientific claims when they say that you can discover your true identity through these tests that's making a whole other type of claim about what these tests can tell you and they are marketing their their services not just based on we can tell you about your and your genetic ancestry but we can tell you about who you really are. And in order to do that, they're making another leap, which is even less scientific, which is that the, your ancestry tells you something about your personality or your character or your beliefs or your values. I mean, that is even less there's even less basis for that, that genes, you know, determine, because this is what they're saying then, that your genes determine your personality traits, your character, even your values. And so uh, there's a company that has an ad that says something like, um, you know, discover who you really are, and then they show um, someone during the, the Olympics, they had an ad with a skater, and they said, where do you get your grace? Where do you get you know, your determination? Where do you get oh, you know, no. these, wow. these, these personality traits that uh, they were attributing to what seemed to be an Olympic skater uh, that – then they, they not only linked it to genetics, but to, to 
the genes supposedly associated with particular ethnic groups. Uh, in this particular ad, they were, uh, the, you know, it was the European ancestry that was attributed to all these uh these wonderful qualities that got this skater to the Olympics. I mean, these, these are the, this is the impression you get from the ad. And so that's uh, a much more, um, I would say, problematic claim that by, by getting these test results, you're going to understand yourself better uh, not ju not just your physical traits or even your health uh, health predispositions, which is another problem. Whether the, the you know that has that raises the question to what extent your genes can predict your health. But even more troublesome is the idea that your genes can determine your identity and your values and your personality traits. Um, that. That is, an, is a, a form of biological determinism that you, you would hope we had uh, rejected at this point, but um, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly promoted by these testing companies and, and just reveals to what extent the idea that genes determine personality and identity and character and values is still very embedded in U.S. society. Well, that actually fits really well with our next question, which is kind of dialing in even more of this of the moment spurt in the popularity of these tests. And like, we're wondering, what do you think has led right now to the to this rise in popularity? Like, what might this trend say about the particular construction of identity politics to today, like even in the past five years? Yeah. Um, I think to me, a, a lot of this focus on biological bases for identity and for the way society operates and is structured is a a way of avoiding the politics of inequality. Uh, I think that the, there's a, a, a kind of liberal comfort in, in attributing social differences and identities to biology as opposed to political struggle and and political inequality and the need for political change uh, it 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 helps to both explain why there still continue to exist these very staggering horrifying uh, racial gaps in every aspect of opportunity and welfare and status in the United States. And uh, it also is a way of avoiding the, um, the need for grappling with, with real 
the real elimination of racial inequities, uh, you know, real reparations and real redistribution of resources and opportunities and life chances by this pretense that genetics explains differences, but also, and this is something that we haven't discussed yet about what these companies say, but another big part of their promotion, and that there are a number of videos and ads that say this, uh, is that by discovering our ancestry, we will overcome racism. That people seeing that they're actually a, a mixture of different backgrounds through ancestry testing uh, will make it impossible for people to be racist. And that this is the path toward uh, overcoming racial divisions, as opposed to dealing with structural racism that is, you know, the ending that is the path. Somehow these testing results are going to make a difference. Uh, and that too is, a, I think, a way of ignoring the real work that is required to end racial inequality in the United States and, and around the world. Uh, and so it's, and also, you know, we could add to this that white supremacist groups love these companies because, and they, because they, they, and this, and both the, the testing companies, but also the supposed science behind it of, of being able to identify racial difference biologically because it promotes their view that race is a biological category and that white people are naturally superior to all other people. And they uh, use these technologies. They cite uh, results on uh, websites and, and uh, various social, uh, social networking, uh, online social networking and they also cite, this, again, the studies that support this way of thinking about race. Uh, there's some recent research that's just coming out analyzing how white supremacists and nationalists use these tests and how they like to, to boast about results that show that they're pure European, but also how they get around the results that show that they're mixtures of other races. And so there, there's no reason, I think, to believe that these tests are going to subvert biological notions of race or uh, subvert racism. I think that they are in some ways promoting those ideas and they don't necessarily contest them. Uh, you know, another aspect of it is 
they promote a misunderstanding about the relationship between race and racism because they're based on the idea that even though race is biological, if we understand it properly, we can overcome the racism that in the past flowed from these biological differences. Uh, when in fact, the invention of race was done and continues to happen, you know, to be constructed as a way of supporting racism. Uh, you, you, there, there's a, I think, inextricable tie between biological concepts of race and structural racism. They, they support each other. And you cannot disengage a biological notion of race from racism. I think it's just a, a misunderstanding of what race is and how it was invented in order to support racism and how it continues to be reinvented and recreated in order to support racism. So uh, the, the idea that, well, there are good people who use the biological concept of race, including in ancestry testing, and they're going to uh, overcome racism, and then there are bad people who use it, and we just have to somehow uh, contain them, is just a, a, a false dichotomy. I'm not equating, you know, liberal racial scientists and white supremacists, but the liberal racial scientists and people who use their, the technologies that flow from their way of thinking, I think have a misunderstanding about the connection between race and the work of white supremacy. Yeah, it seems, com it seems com so bizarre and counterintuitive to believe that it would be possible for the discovery of brownness in a, in a like purportedly white person's DNA to undermine their own racial prejudice since, <laughs> since that, since that yeah. would, I mean, that would pathologize being Brown anyway and presume their superiority anyway. So that, th yeah, that's, that's incredibly bizarre. And it's really interesting that there are all of these different entry points, which come from, which, which all come from this like fundamental misunderstanding of what's being discussed? Yes. Yes, yes. And, well, fundamental misunderstanding and a resistance to accepting it. You know, I, I, have, I have to say when I wrote Fatal Invention, because I began to read these reports, especially in the New York Times, uh, the claiming that there was evidence of race in our genes and that race was actually was a, a biological category that could be genetically uh, determined and identified. And uh, I, I knew something was wrong with that, but I, I was surprised as I did my research how 
prominent that Fusta was in genomic science. And also, once I wrote the book and began to speak about it, the resistance to just imagining that race might not be a natural category and that it is a political invention. Uh, even, again, even among liberal people, you know, most of the scientists today who are proclaiming race as actually a genetic category and arguing we should be looking into genetic differences between races, they're, they're liberals. They're not white supremacists, you know, and so, um, and same thing with a lot of people who resist it. I mean, most of the people who come to hear me talk about it are members of uh, the academy, either students or faculty or researchers, and they're, you know, they're not about white nationalists, but there's a lot of resistance to this idea, and I think it's because there is a resistance to really grappling with the reality of deep structural racism that produces, continues to produce abominable racial disparities in, in every aspect of people's lives. And so it's, it's, it's a misunderstanding, but it's also there's an unwillingness to think, think differently. Just, you know, let's, you know, for example, I've been in groups where of doctors and medical students, uh, some are, are eager to think about practicing medicine apart from classifying patients by race, but I've also encountered many others who act as if, or they told me, it, they, they couldn't imagine practicing medicine without treating their patients by race. And the lack of willingness to even imagine, imagine that race is not a natural division of human beings and imagine what it would mean to treat other human beings as if they were really equal and not naturally divided by race. It's, it's been eye-opening for me. Yeah, I think your point about um, racism and the, the tests kind of in this way evading, really probing the structural and the very political uh, dimensions of what race means and how racism operates, I think is like a really in, in, like insightful and important point. I think that there's also like another related um, thing at stake, issue at stake, I think, which is really related to, um, you know, the rise of biometric surveillance. I mean, and just, you know, surveillance in general, I mean, by consequence of like owning a, an iPhone and like being a part of the 21st century, I can, I guess we've all kind of been um, handing over a, a lot of our privacy to corporations. But I think that um, the genetic ancestry tests are also kind of involved in this, in this movement, in this conversation. Um, so I was, I was thinking about this in relation to the genetic ancestry test, you know, for, for some people, uh, a cause of concern is that actually these companies can own 
their customers genetic material in perpetuity and I've, I've spoken to some people who got the test and i've watched like loads of youtube videos and it seems like according to the company you can opt in or opt out to the to the company keeping your material does that mean that they actually don't keep it you know who knows but i i, I read recently that uh, in new york uh chuck schumer senator chuck schumer has actually called for more stringent ftc regulation of the genetic ancestry business um expressing concerns that companies might be able to under current conditions sell test taker genetic material to third-party companies for example so i was wondering if you could speak to that you know what are the potential implications of ancestry testing corporations owning their own proprietary DNA base DNA databases. Yeah, well, I think there's a good argument that the reason why these companies are in business is to collect people's DNA and own the information, uh, the genetic information in uh, in the samples and use them. And, well, let's be more specific, sell that information uh, in ways it's not quite clear what exactly what they're going to do with it. But uh, one possibility is sell it to uh, biomedical research researchers and research institutions. Um, uh, an another that is... Uh, perhaps more troubling is whether uh, it, this information could be sold or shared with law enforcement agencies. And that's something that came up recently with the uh, identification of uh, serial uh, rapist and murderer um, where in California, I believe, uh, where they were able to track this person down uh, with the assistance of um, an ancestry uh, site. I, 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 I'm not sure exactly all the details, but it raised the specter of genetic ancestry companies providing DNA to law enforcement. Uh, so that's a, another privacy concern. And so uh, I don't know that we even know yet what all the possible uses, but certainly selling, selling it for biomedical research purposes and uh, sharing it with law enforcement are, are two, uh, two concerns and, and two possible ways that this information could be used apart from providing uh, analysis directly to the people who provided the DNA. Right. I guess I guess only time will tell. Um, but it's definitely something to, for, at least for me, has been kind of. I mean, our, our original concept for this episode was actually for me to to try. Wait, firstly, to try to get some sponsorships from these companies and somehow covertly get my my DNA tested and do a compare and contrast. But I honestly realized a that probably wouldn't work, and b I didn't want to actually hand over my genetic material to these companies. So uh, we didn't go down that route. But I guess I just wanted to also point out that, you know, I guess me personally and Isabel and I have a lot of conversations about like race and ethnicity and identity and what it means for all of us. And I guess I guess I could speak for you, Isabel, on this. Like, I guess both of us have 
a de- such a deep like av- aversion to any um, sort of uh, whether it be like theoretical projects, p- consumer culture product like genetic ancestry tests that really try to um, enforce a deterministic, essentializing narrative about race and what identity means. Um, so I think that perhaps the tone of this um, episode, I guess, for any of our listeners, has been kind of from a critical bent, only because that's our worst coming from our all of our subjectivities you know and 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 do have problems with the sort of perpetuation of of yeah systems of classification systems of classification that have not done a lot of good for 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 many people on this planet but i guess i guess i just wanted to also point out that you know in my watching of YouTube videos and talking to people that have gotten these tests, it, it is quite interesting and, and, and I guess profound that people, you know, do find meaning in these tests, um, you know, affiliation to, um, you know, tribes in Africa. I know Alondra Nelson has written extensively on on what the, you know, root seekers, she calls them, how they, how sort of a sense of, of what it means to be African-American, what it means to be black kind of gets articulated through these genetic answers she says. So I certainly don't want to totally like invalidate and bash them despite, you know, my skepticism, which I will never get rid of. But I, I guess I just wanted to like put a pin in that too to just say like I I want to respect that. And I think you've also, I, I, I encountered an interview that you that you gave where um, you speak about the sort of the, the African uh, the, the companies that are focused more on the kind of the African genealogy tests and how um, Oprah, for example, really wanted to identify as Zulu and kind of was disappointed when her her testing turned up something different. But that, you know, uh, what people get out of these tests are kind of what they want to see in the tests. I think Wendy Roth also, also writes about, their too, about that too. This idea that people kind of create the meaning like anything else create meaning the kind of meaning that they want to to see in these in these tests and they can be affirming to some people's identity a friend of mine today texted me and said you know a friend of mine got his test and he didn't want to you know look at the results he didn't look at the results for three months because he was somehow like petrified of like what he would find so it definitely is having like a profound impact on people and i think i just wanted to acknowledge that people do find joy and meaning and apparently also find long lost siblings and cousins through through the websites and things like that. Right. That that's true. And so it, I, I think we discussed different kinds of uses of these tests. So, you know, there's a it's different to, to look for shared relatives uh, in tribes in Africa from determining whether you're pure white or not. You know, those are, those are different kinds of questions. And I, I can understand why many African-Americans turn to these tests because, because of the impossibility for most of tracing their and their actual ancestors through historical records because of the disruption of the slave trade. And so I, I can see how someone might want to turn to what is available because the, the, the historical records aren't available. So turning to ancestry testing to shed some light on what their 
who you know who their ancestors might have been or who they can affiliate with based on some sense of joint ancestry. Uh, so I, I can understand that. And Alondra Nelson, in in her book, The Social Life of DNA, she she points out that that for many, they, they don't take these tests as an absolute determination of their identity. They use them in various ways to, to, to as you were saying, to tell a story about their, uh, their identity and their past that might include other bits of evidence or other means of affiliation besides genetic ancestry testing. So it, it is more complex. Uh, I, I, I think, though, um, you know, I, I still <laughs> find it impossible to just end there. Because, <laughs> you know, I would still want to raise the question, though, why, why a genetic test? Why not other forms of affiliation that can also produce connections to Africa uh, through cultural, artistic, historical, political types of uh, ties or interests that don't rely on, uh, on genetics. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm just concerned about the promotion of genetics as the prime way in which we can know who we are and the way in which that supports biological determinism, biological concepts of race, biological concepts of values and personality, uh, biological concepts of society that have had such damaging and continue to have such damaging consequences. Uh, so, this, you know, it's part of a broader question about the relationship between social inequality and biological difference that is a longstanding question in science and society and that becomes more complicated all the time. But I think we, we have to be willing to be creative and to break away from some of the the very harmful ideas about how biological differences are the reason for social inequality uh, and and figure out how to relate to each other as equal human beings without relying on the kind of biological determinism that was just so, so, such an important part of justifying hierarchy and, and unjust power arrangements. Well, the last question that we have for you is actually on this, on this note, like what will what what could a future of racial categorization look like and in what ways can we reconcile and remediate the very real material impacts of racism without perpetuating faulty notions of race like where do we where do we go from here 
Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important to keep in mind that race is a political invention. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, I, I think many people have a difficulty thinking, well, if I don't accept that race is a natural biological category, if I reject that, then that, you know, then they think, well, that means I can't talk about race. I can't see race. I can't consider race at all. And that's, that's not true. It, it, not that it doesn't exist. It's that it's a political category that actually does have a very, very profound influence on every aspect of our society and people's lives, including people's health. You know, it has biological effects uh, because of the impact of social inequality on people's health. But also it helps to determine people's chances of being incarcerated, of being poor, of going to a, a low quality school, of you know, graduate, getting into college, you know, I could go on and on and on of all the effects that it has. So the first basic thing is just to, as we think about how to address continuing racial inequality, to approach it with a realistic understanding of what race means and to reject the backward idea that human beings are naturally divided into races. You know, I, I, it seems, in a way, it seems strange to have to say that, but I've, as I said, I've learned that people, so many people still believe that, and it, it, it does shape people's ideas about why we live in such a racially unequal society to this day. Uh, and then thinking about how, how to abolish the structures of racism that continue to exist uh, so that, you know, the ways in which racism is embedded in institutions and systems in the United States and how to abolish those systems as perpetrators of racism. Uh, and, and so, you know, as we, as we move toward abolishing prisons and foster care and think about, and police, you know, and think about ways of addressing social problems and people's needs apart from these institutions that are so imbued with white supremacy and that have historically and continue to promote racial inequality. Uh, how, how do we, how do we use race as you know, pay attention to race as a way of eliminating racism, but also I think part of the creative visionary process of, of abolition 
might also include abolishing racial categories. But, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not at a point today where we can ignore race. We have to pay attention to it in order to end racism and the structures that continue to perpetuate racist ideologies and, and practices. Well, we certainly, you know, have a very, 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 very long way to go on that front. But I mean, certainly your scholarship and your contributions to, you know, getting getting us to rethink, um, you know, this political system that we know as race is certainly part of that re-envisioning work that that we all need and need to continue to do. So thank you for the work that you're already doing um, to kind of help us imagine and envision a new, a new way of, of, of understanding what it means to be human. Cause ultimately that's what really, that's what it really comes down to. So we want to thank you so, so much for making the time to speak with us this evening. This is really quite amazing. Yeah, this was incredible. Um, there's so many, profoundly paradigm shifting messages in this episode of that we're honored to get to share as part of our of our program oh thank you thanks for inviting me and thanks for this great conversation you asked good questions and made great comments as well so thank you you. i really appreciate it thank you so to everyone listening uh you just heard the amazing professor dorothy roberts uh speak on genetic ancestry testing and a wide variety of other topics um yeah this is the top rank podcast you can find us um on instagram at top rank magazine um on soundcloud at the same top rank magazine also on itunes and also isabel and i are really down to collaborate with our listeners on any um topic topic ideas episode ideas so you could email us uh, my email is marcel at toprankmagazine.com and mine is isabel at toprankmagazine.com all right all until right. next time thank you thank guys you. thank you dorothy so much take good care <laughs> you too Send me in my outer back Send me to your